You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Jerry Parker, Moritz Siebert, and I, Niels Kastrolasen, are back with this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series, where each week we give you a raw and honest account of what it's like to be a rules-based investor, what news and articles caught our attention, and of course, where we also attempt to answer your questions. Now, if you're tuning in for the first time, uh, welcome. We love that you're here, and we'll do our best uh, to make it worth your while and hopefully entertain you along the way. As usual, let me start by saying good morning to you, Jerry, and good afternoon to you, Moritz. Morning, Jerry. Good afternoon, Niels. Same. How are you? How are you guys? Same. Great. Yes, we're still alive. Tough week, but we're still here. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of tough week, let me just sort of um, talk a little bit about what uh, caught my eye. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, no doubt it's the global sell-off in fixed income markets that really intensified uh, this week, causing for sure significant give back uh, of this year's earlier profits for, for trend following strategies. Uh, certainly also on, on our side, we'll come to that. Um, you know, so I was kind of just looking up on, on, a, on, a, on a one market just to get a reference point, And I noticed that uh, you know the 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 drop in yields we saw in in Bund futures from the beginning of August, and now we're back to exactly the same levels. Uh, now where we are in sort of mid September, so it kind of correlates pretty well with what's happened also uh, performance wise. Um, but we'll dig into that a little bit uh, deeper. And this is, you know, for people who are new to trend following, I would say this is really how it normally works. We we also saw a very similar period where we had. A strong period in October 2017 all the way through January 18 and then again from November last year until the end of August uh, this year and then in between we have these correction periods some more smooth than others but they are certainly uh, there and of course these uh, opportunities uh, you know from an investor point of view sometimes they're you know, pretty good in terms of getting into the strategy. It's an opportunity to to buy in, uh, uh, you know, below the high or the most recent high. But of course, we as 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 human beings uh, often never really uh, get to that point where we pull the trigger because we start thinking in possibilities rather than prob- probabilities, which is of course one of the uh, weaknesses uh, that we as humans have, uh, especially when you um, look in the the research. Uh, of behavioral finance and speaking of behavioral finance i just want to take one minute to uh, quote a guest that i had um, in an episode i released uh, just a couple of days ago on the podcast and it's dr daniel crosby who is not only a behavioral science of oh, sorry behavioral finance uh, expert but also in in the financial industry and and one of the things he said he said every single way that we evolved we have evolved for immediacy, we've evolved for certainty, we've evolved for action. Success in financial markets takes dealing with uncertainty, it takes restraint, it takes patience, it takes not listening to your gut. Our gut was originally uh, the original risk tolerance system uh, that was our gauge uh, of how we ought or ought not to behave. The first thing we need is just to recognize 
and be aware of just how ill-equipped we are for this. And I think this is uh, really important, uh, especially when you go through a period, as we did last week, um, that can cause a lot of emotions, uh, of course. Um, now, clearly people who have been around for a while, they've seen this before, but I think we also should recognize people who may be new to trend, follow trend following um, and uh, maybe even new in terms of investing in trend following. And, and I think we, we certainly can recognize that it's, it's a tough and volatile introduction to this way uh, of uh, investing. So uh, if you are one of those and you have questions for us, as usual, just send them to info at toptradersonplug.com uh, and um, we'll do our best to uh, answer these questions. Of course, also, when we have these periods of time that uh, there's a lot of uh, headlines and narrative in the press that comes out. And um, certainly this week, I've seen uh, a number of them blaming CTAs uh, for being behind these uh, vicious sell-off. I'd love to hear when, when we talk about it, uh, whether you are the ones selling. We've done a little selling because we have to reduce risk when these things happen. But I just think overall, um, it's wrong to try and blame this on CTAs. Uh, first of all, we're not the ones starting counter, counter trend moves, um, and and we're still a relatively small industry, three hundred and forty billion dollars managed by the industry, and we're looking at a bond market that has trillions and trillions of dollars in it. So uh, I really don't think that it's uh, that it is correct to say that, but I do understand that it's a great headline and narrative to um, to put out there. So funnily enough, by the way, we never get the praise when markets go up. It's also a very predictable human behavior, I guess. So Moritz, with all of that in mind, how, um, how are you doing on your side? Nicely terrible. Um, so I was just saying I'm doing great when you asked. I'm, uh, I'm not so sure. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing great. I'm smiling. But the week in trading was tough, uh, real tough. And um, down more, a bit more than 10%, really. And, and all of that was unsurprisingly uh, driven by the bonds. And, um, you know, I kind of like caught myself in the middle of the week with like the third or fourth consecutive down day in the bonds, kind of like, you know, now it has to stop. It has to turn around. There will be a reversal, right? Only to be disappointed on the Thursday. And then there's another smack hat on the, you know, on the Friday. So it's, it's one of those weeks where it just doesn't work. And you're just sitting there and watching the performance, you know, deteriorate. And well, that's what, that's what it is. But uh, to your point, Niels, on the selling, uh, don't blame me. I didn't do any selling. I didn't touch a single bond contract this past week. No vol controlling, no stop has been hit. I mean, of course, the stops are getting closer. Uh, if it continues the way it did in the past week, then, you know, stops will be hit. But for now, they have not been hit. And so I just need to sit there, trust the system, and, you know, continue to push the, the buttons of the mouse if and when a signal comes up. But if it doesn't come up, it doesn't come up and the portfolio stays unchanged. So I took the hit, uh, like I said, 10% down. There's been a couple of markets that have um, produced, you know, positive performance. The emissions contract, for instance, I think I made some money out of silver. But, you know, all of this is, uh, is, is uh, minuscule against what the bonds did to my portfolio. So there we are. Let's see what happens next week. No, absolutely. And I, I really think that's an important insight, right? You know, someone like you not touched one bond. So 
a lot of again got, just goes to the point that when you see these headlines in the news about CTAs selling, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, there are so many people involved in these markets, and uh, you know CTA certainly the medium to longer term CTAs. Um, it's questionable certainly when you have a sell off straight from an all time high. It's question a sharp one and a quick one. It's questionable how how much we will really participate in the beginning of that. Um, but, you know, certainly on our side, just just like you, more it's a tough, tough week, um, you know, year, month to date, giving back what we made in August. So, you know, if you took out August and September so far, you know, no change since July. But, of course, we always focus on the most recent high, and therefore it's, it's tough to look at. Um, but as soon as you expand the lens that you look at these things, and we don't look at daily, weekly, monthly, or even yearly numbers, but you just look at that 5, 10, 15, 20-year horizon, um, I see a lot of consistency in the return profile of the strategy. And, uh, you know, for us, uh, of course, it's the bonds uh, as well uh, that uh, caused the uh, the drawdown so far this month. Um, to put it into perspective, uh, we've probably given back um, a little less than a third of what we've made in bonds so far this year. So we're still massively up for the year in, in terms of profit from bonds. And as I mentioned, because we do things a little bit different to you, uh, yeah, we've reduced a bit of the uh, exposure. Uh, that's how our systems operate. Um, but, you know, um, thinking back to February 2018, where we had a similar kind of short-lived, um, sharp, violent correction, not a crisis uh, in my view, um, you know, the right thing was really to to stay with the positions. I mean, it all recovered later in the year. Um, but it's it's painful, and again, you have to just follow the process, as you say. This is what we, this is what we um, like about being systematic. It's that we uh, shouldn't be emotionally evol- involved, uh, certainly not on the uh, you know decision making during periods like this. Um, bonds main loss, of course, as I mentioned, we lost some money in Japanese equities, pound, coffee, cotton, lean hawks. I mean. There was a bit of a list this week. Um, and of course, as you say, small, small positive news came from things like crude oil, U.S. equities, the VIX, uh, cocoa, soybean oil, um, but nothing that could really uh, stop the, the bleeding uh, during the week. Um, but um, uh, as I wrote out to my clients this morning when I did my weekly synopsis, I mean, for those who have been with us for years, decades even, it's not the first time this has happened. It won't be the last time, and 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 that's how that's how it is. So uh, yeah, but I have been very interested in uh, your response to this uh, week, Jerry, because of course you you have stated many times that you uh, look at the bond sector a little bit different to us uh, in terms of how much exposure you want to give it. So uh, so I'm curious to to hear how your week was. Yeah, I mean I didn't make uh, all the profits in the bonds like. Uh most others and so I didn't have the quite the give back either so it's just been a, the best market for a long while now and it's the gift that kept on giving until now so you know who knows it could go back to the highs or keep going lower but uh, I think it's really just a question of how many bonds do you have it's a pretty vicious uh, sell-off we trade all of us have uh, historically systems that have historically made lots of money and according to those systems, it's still not, uh, if you want to make that money, you have to follow those rules. And according to those rules, it's still in an uptrend or it's still worthwhile to have on those long positions. So I don't even, and I don't even think that, uh, you know, from my point of view, 
uh, we differ, all of us differ a little bit on the way that we say things and uh, handle things. But uh, my risk in that trade was my small loss of 50 basis points. And uh, so that there's not any, any even in, any increased risk in the trade. The risk is gone. So just because it's high vol and sloshing around and making me feel bad, I'm st- it's still a trade with no risk because it's massive profits in these bonds and they're just no fun and uncomfortable. So I wouldn't even cut back uh, based upon risk. Uh, most of the time, a lot of the trend followers just totally ignore this volatility on mega profits. So uh, I'll continue to do that. But I'm very keen, though, on uh, exiting these things when it looks like the trend has turned around. And, you know, maybe some more of this, some of my less traditional exits based on trend will uh, have me reducing some of my position. But, uh, yeah, it's just uh, the number of bonds you have on and the the amount of money that you've made so far in this trade is going to determine how bad you feel about this week. So um, just typical stuff. Yeah, we were certainly talking about it before the uh, before we pressed record, and and at the end of the day, a lot of it comes down to kind of your portfolio construction, right? Because it just happens to be bonds are super liquid, and there are many of them, so we tend to have a lot of them in our portfolio. Um, if there were five different gold and three different silvers and all of that, we would have more of that, and those moves would feel more painful or or great, uh, depending on which way uh, we were on that. But but so. Yeah, I mean, it is it is what it is, and um, um, as long as people can, you know, tend to ignore the headlines and the sensation that uh, will go around uh, a sell-off like that. And um, and frankly, if you look at the news flow, even though we tend not to, but I couldn't help just looking a little bit at what, what was uh, being given also uh, the reason. I mean, you, you look at some of these um, risk factors like the trade war. Well, the trade war was certainly a lot of good, and new, good, good news during the week. So it's clear that the risk premium for where people have been seeking shelter in bonds, I mean, that's going to go out. It's quite normal. I mean, it's not normal that rates were falling at the t- at the pace that they were. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I also see this as, as, as you know, as, as normal uh, market behavior. Um, so... Anyways, um, before we jump to um, kind of the next uh, items on our list today, uh, we don't have a uh, voicemail today. There was no messages in the in the in the voicemail box this week, sadly to say, or sad to say. But if you do want to leave a voicemail, um, maybe a message of support for three struggling trend followers this week, uh, you can do so uh, at toptradersunplugcom forward slash voicemail. We certainly appreciate hearing from you guys. Um, uh, maybe one of the few last updates on our live event. We've got like one or two spots left if you want to join us in October 26, 27 in, in New York um, and uh, for us to help you you know, with some breakthroughs, uh, hopefully, in, in within trend following, um, you know, check it out. Uh, toptradersonpluck.com forward slash live is where you get some information. So, busy week in the markets. How about social media, Twitter in particular? Jerry, was it a busy week as well? Well, you know, it's been two weeks, so we have uh, built up. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we've got plenty. Uh, yeah. yeah, we have a few things. Uh, I went back and looked. I was just, you know, I was... Thought I had a lot of good stuff uh, last week, but then I re I looked at them again and I was like, ah, not that great. It's okay. So you know, uh, these things sometimes don't age well. But uh, 
Wayne to the rescue this week. Uh, Wayne has uh, provided us with a lot of good stuff, good quotes, things to think about, because he did a nice interview at Real Vision, and he has lots of fans, and he has lots of uh, things to say. So uh, let me find the Wayne, get going on uh, where Wayne was uh, talking about... um, while you look for Wayne, um, I just want to say I saw a lot of nice tweets and comments about our episode last week with Peter Borish. Um, people seem to like it and uh, and also a very nice kind message from uh, Meb Faber. Um, so, um, yeah, we appreciate that. And, and for sure, Peter was uh, you know, a great guest uh, and very fitting for our one year anniversary so if you haven't checked that episode out uh why don't you do so and and again just a selfish plug for for the um interview uh, part one with uh, daniel crosby go and check that out it's really good and part two is is equally uh insightful so did you manage to find wayne in your twitter feed uh, jerry yeah this one got the most amount of uh, interest this week actually of all the tweets um kind of an interesting thing and i have no problem uh you know, talking about things that we don't necessarily fully agree with or understand, but uh, this, uh, the the uh, my Twitter followers like this one a lot. And it goes, uh, my discretion is very systematic. It's it's a rules-based discretion. I don't know what it means to be fully discretionary. Before I get in, I know my stop, a profit target, or trailing stop, but it's all in my head. So, uh, yeah, I've you often know- thought that guys who or not maybe systematic trend followers still can use some of these tools and implement them in a kind of their own systematic way. I was listening to the uh, interview, Wayne, and and of course, you know, great interview. But I have to say I was a little bit also confused, meaning this this blurred line between systematic and, and discretionary. And I'm just thinking... If if things are so systematic in or rules based in in someone's mind, why not just program it? Um, so there must be a little bit more to it uh, than than just saying, "Well, I have all the rules in my head," um, you know. And I think he did say that he can bend the rules, so that's how his discretion pops up. It's not so much no rules; it's more bending the rules, and maybe that's impossible to uh, to uh, program. Um, but I find it a little bit confusing sometimes when people talk about themselves being systematic, but then it turns out that it's not programmed. It's it's still just in someone's mind. It's uh, well, I mean, maybe uh, with Peter Borish on last week, where we really talked about also the you know how how successful someone like Paul Tula Jones had been as a discretionary trader. Peter was very clear. Yeah, but you know there's there's discipline uh, behind uh, the method. So. So I guess it's possible, um, but it's. I, I think it must be hard to be that disciplined uh, all the time if you haven't uh, got yeah, got the rules down. Yeah, I like I liked the interview with Wayne on Real Vision, and what he said about the systematic discretion reminded me spot on about our conversation with Peter Borish because it was kind of like the same discussion that we had with him. Where is that line? Where is the difference between discretion and systematic? And if the discretion is systematic, why not systematize it completely and put down the rules and trade that way without any discretion? Now, I mean, I'm, you know, from Wayne, from that interview in Real Vision, I gather that, you know, he's trading, he's trading options. That's what he said. He's, you know, buying options. He's buying convexity, buying skew, buying vol. That is how he trades. Now, 
in those markets, and you know, I trade a lot of options myself, um, and and definitely have traded a lot of them in the past. Um, those markets, it, it may be difficult to systematize everything, just because it's not just the settlement price of a futures contract, which is like one single print. It's a complete volatility surface. It is it is more complex data in that space, right? And therefore, systematizing it completely is probably more difficult than what we're doing with the trend following system, which is using linear instruments, futures, ETFs, equities, etc. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's probably more difficult to do. And maybe that's why, and I'm just guessing here, I don't know the answer, but maybe this is why, okay, you have the rules in your head, you know, this is what you want to do. You want to buy an option, a put or a call if volatility is down there or if this and that happens, but you know, you don't have it programmed because trading those in those markets, in those option markets may be difficult um, to, to have to have a computer do. Maybe it's, you know, you want to be point and click and go to the market and put limits in and, or, you know, call a broker and, and ask for a good price or trade OTC, things like this. I don't know how he's doing it, but uh, that would make sense to me. And I can I can see that that point. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But but I will just add to that, that for me, being systematic doesn't mean you have to systematize fully your your execution. I mean, on our side, Agreed. we have traders. Agreed. Who, yeah, we have traders who do the, it's just the signal they get. It's their decision how they want to implement the trade, so to speak. So, uh, but I think your points are, are very valid and, and hopefully we're not too far off in what, uh, what Wayne um, meant and what's the reason behind um he, there was a, a a whole bunch of great quotes from him coming from that interview for sure. Yeah, he talks about a paper in that interview that I found and I posted. And one of his comments uh, is that uh, to be aware of a high success rate in trading. So, you know, we talk about our win, a trade win percentage in the 40s. Uh, and so I think he sort of gives the impression, I'm, tr I'm trying to understand, that uh, if your win rate is higher, then maybe you have a negative skew where your wins will be smaller than your losses. And he thinks that's a, a bad idea. And that at the end of the day, you will have to pay the piper. You're taking pleasure now, but you'll receive pain in some time from now, which, uh, which we kind of all understand. And we, we've had the pain of giving back some profit on some really large winners, but I think uh, what he's describing is like even worse, not having those winners and having uh, at some point in time having to uh, realize uh, bigger losses. Uh, he goes on to say, I've learned over many years that I just don't know and I literally don't care. No one has any idea what's going to be in the next six months. It's all much larger than ourselves. So many variables. It's all confounding. We can't extract or isolate what the influencing variables are. And for me right there, that's why following trends works. It's just too big. It's, we've just seen it over and over, that predicting and trying to understand and get to the bottom of it. And Wade even says to the interviewer, like, who <clears throat> looks at things a little bit differently, uh, you know, I, it's okay that you're trying to figure out what's going to happen, make some negative performance or negative moves in the market, but I don't really even care. I just want to be prepared for those negative moves uh, and know that what I'm doing is going to help when bad things happen. So this is just music to our ears, and I think it's another thing that um, <clears throat> taking small losses and being, uh, take, 
and having diversification, a lot of uh, the similar characteristics of successful traders, even if you're not trend following, I think this is another one. Just don't try to explain anything. It's beyond, it's too, it can be too big. I like that. I fully agree. I mean, uh, you know, there, there's, it just makes no sense. It's a pointless exercise to figure out, you know, why exactly something has happened in those large markets. It doesn't make you a dime more money if exposed, you know what has happened and what the reason was for a certain move. It's, you know, it's, it's yesterday's news. And none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow or in the next five minutes or in a year from now. So it's really all this talking about what is driving a market, why is this happening, why is that happening, is really just um, we're probably a waste of time to, to, to say to say it uh, very direct. And, um, and to Wayne's point, with the the negative skew if you have a win percentage rate that is greater than 50 or 60 or 70 i think that's true you will probably have negative skew if you are up there because those are the mean reversion short volatility all those type of strategies which you know when they when they hit it may be terminal pain it will be the end whereas we have you know 40 percent win rates we have kind of like ongoing pain most of the time we need to we are in this state, but um, but we're unlikely to go bust because of that. Yeah, actually, in um, in my guest this week, Daniel Crosby's previous book, um, he um, I think he cited a study between systematic and discretionary trading strategies, and and I don't know the details of the study. I'm just paraphrasing, but it's something like what they found was in 94 percent of the time, systematic would equal or outperform discretionary. And I think this is quite important. And also, if you look at, if you just look at the top 10 uh, hedge funds in the world, I guess, how many of those are discretionary? Probably none. So, but of course, the financial industry is really tied to also what happens in the media, right? And you can't really have Bloomberg or CNBC invite guests that all the time says, I don't know, I have no idea where the S&P is going, you know, it just doesn't sell. Story sells, narrative sells, um, you know, predictions as as wrong as they may be sells. But deep down, people have no idea where the S&P is going to close this year or the VIX or wherever it might be. Um, but we, but this is part of this. This is why I'm so fascinated by uh, behavioral finance. And I think everyone should be reading up on this. I think this is one of the most important things we can do as investors. Um, we have this tendency that we want to be precise. You know, if you ask people, you know, how many, I think he, he mentioned in, in some conversation where sort of how many uh, books are there in, 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 you know, related to the Bible, people will come up with all sorts of guesses, like, you know, 27 books or whatever it might be. They have no clue how many books there are. Turns out there are 66, but I, I had no clue. I didn't know. But that's just how it is. Instead of Instead of saying, I don't really know, maybe... 50 to 100, then at least that's a range. But no, we would always try and guess something precise. And it goes back to the same thing we say about trend following all over and over again. Good enough is good enough. We, we shouldn't try and you know create that model that will be the best model because there is no such thing as the best model. It is a range of probabilities that we work with, but if you put them together, they become stronger as a unit. Yeah, and, uh, and later on, we can talk about a, uh, a study and a 
uh, tweeted uh, that uh, pretty much said the same thing, that within a range, um, all of the medium long-term systems that uh, they make a, they tend to make about the same amount of money. So we've got every market may having the same expectation, basically, from a trend-following point of view. Uh, we have markets that <clears throat> can't stand on their own long, long, uh, long only, and historically they haven't had profits, but if you trend-follow them, they make money, and they will make about the same as all the other markets. So now we have proof or evidence that uh, the systems can make about the same amount of money. Whatever the sharp ratio, the average sharp ratio over all the systems is, is probably your best guess for what each individual system is going to do. So um, it just gets better and better for our side uh, in living in this crazy world that's uh, where crazy things, things we've never seen before, continue to happen all the time. And you know, at least give the CTAs credit. They're long, these bonds, when uh, everybody thought a year or two ago that the obvious trade was to be short the bonds. <clears throat> so uh, we make a lot of money, and we we have a tendency to keep it. Even in this this week will be forgotten so quickly as nothing. It's a, it's nothing. It's just a little blip uh, when the f- final story is written about 2019. Yeah, very good point, Jerry. I um I reminded of myself of that yesterday you know when friday evening the week was over finally over it felt like it was finally over right and it's like you know when those weeks happen i've had them before and like you say jerry in a few weeks time it'll be it'll be in in the history books right and your mind stops being in the you know it's it's no longer concerned with what has happened so so I'm trying to force myself into a good feeling, saying like, you know, looking back at all the trading that I've done in the years, there have been so many great periods. This is just, you know, this is not about the money. This is just numbers going down. It's, yeah, well, you know, the chart goes down. But I'm, I'm kind of like actively trying to force myself into some sunny period where, you know, things have been, I've been making that money back in three or four or five days, right? And it's kind of like, it feels like nothing has ever happened. And I've also had worse periods than the current one. So it's kind of like, I'm, I'm trying to find a balance. You know, we're, we're in this hole now. This has been a real rough week, but come on. Maybe in, you know, in a month's time, we'll just be on the podcast and speak about this horrible week and go like, well, we've made now new highs and, and you just forget about the thing. It's it's all about the mental game, right? And that I mean, is that the is an important game. Is game. So important. It's an important game, and do not you know, freak out the, right now. Right? Yeah, and and uh, one one way of looking at it, uh, again, something I also looked at, not necessarily this week, but very recently, I was looking at rolling ten-year performance of our strategy versus bonds and 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 equities. Bonds, of course, we know in the last 30 years have been going up. So, of course, we would expect 100% of those 10-year rolling periods would be positive. But actually, you know, our program never had a losing period over 10 years. And uh, actually, equities where people think, oh, yeah, long-term equity holding, long only, you're going to be always making money. Actually not. 92% um, quote-unquote only of the rolling 10-year period since 1984 um, was was positive. So, yeah, I mean, so you could turn around and say, at least in our case, and I'm sure it's the same for you guys, no one has ever lost money in trend following if you just have a 10-year view. But every month, every week, every year, of course, yeah, we can have a down year. Uh, who wants to have a 10-year view? It's all about today. 
recent. <laughs> uh, so that's another edge we have was that we'll have a 10-year view. Uh, that's why I, like I've said before, uh, put up your weekly chart. So put up a weekly chart and look at 10 to 20 years worth of data and then put your channel or your breakouts around that or whatever you move an average, adjust your parameters, uh, divide everything by five, and uh, you can look back and you see these trends are just enormous in all these different markets. And those periods, just like this week, that were nothing. They either went to new highs and uh, or it was a signaling of a great new trade going in the other direction. And the most important thing was to get on that trade and do it. Uh, and just you're, you just don't have the capability to view those past periods that maybe were even worse than this week with any sort of uh, concern because you're looking at history and history worked out well just by following those trends. So in the same way, we'll look back and we'll just never be able to get this level of anxiety that we have today. Um, but we, weekly charts, it's, they're soothing. A lot of trends out there. A lot of yeah. volatility, but in hindsight, as long as you followed your rules, it didn't really seem to matter very much. And stayed incredibly diversified. I mean, we're just so diversified. It's going to be almost, you know, it's going to be difficult to have long losing periods. You cannot, you cannot simulate the pain. You cannot replay the pain, right? You can look at the chart, your own track record, and you'll easily find periods in that track record that have been worse than this week you know, even in terms of consecutive down days. I mean, that stuff is in there. And the longer we play, the longer we survive and stay alive at that game of trading, the more of those will be in there, right? So you kind of look back objectively and say, this has happened before, and therefore I should be prepared to experience at least the same going forward, right? Just be ready for that. But you cannot replay the pain. You cannot simulate the pain that you would have been in 10 years ago because your brain isn't able to do that. You can only feel today's pain. And then you think you're kind of like trapped and think this is so bad. It, it doesn't get any worse than that. And, you know, I need to change and do something. But no, 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 you, you, you don't have to. You just have to, I guess, close your eyes and follow through. Well, you can't backtest experience yeah. and experience is what will, you know, and, 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 and I think this is something that is so understated when people look at track records, because some people will think that just because it's new and it's the latest and greatest that it is, you know, better. Uh, and of course, then they're going to look at a long track record uh, from people who've been in the, in, the, in the trenches for decades. And of course, they will probably have bigger drawdowns and they won't look as, as, smooth, as smooth. But they have that level of experience that you can't buy. You can't get any, any other way than doing it day in, day out for decades. And it is that experience that will keep you, uh, as you say, Moritz, uh, that will keep you from making silly mistakes. It's, it's the same like paper trading. Like some people, they paper trade, but paper trade isn't the real thing. Like looking at your past track record is kind of like paper trading the pain, but you cannot do that. You, you, you have to be there with real money and make the loss and feel the loss. And that, that's the only way to gain experience. If you're, there's no simulation for that. There really isn't. Yeah. I mean, I look at it a little bit differently. I think, uh, I think my best the best thing I got from my experience is when I didn't follow my systems, I lost money. It was worse. So I'm going to limit uh, 
that experience to that and that only. Uh, because I think that uh, sometimes uh, living through uh, experiences successfully gives us the wrong impression. So I think that if a CTA started today with no experience whatsoever, but somehow could muster up the discipline to do every single trade and have a medium to long-term system and trade all the markets the same way and have a diversified portfolio and to do shorts, I think they would have a huge edge. But it's if you need this uh, experience to uh, force yourself to be disciplined, then, that, then I, I'll accept that. But I'm, I do think also living through different periods of doing the wrong thing can give you false confidence. And actually, uh, if, you, if you're a new trader or an inexperienced trader and you make it through bad periods and someone says, how did you know to take small losses? How did you know to go with the trend? How did you know to be uh, so diversified? How did you know you would, that would be what it took to live through these things? And you'd say, well, of course I knew those things. It was never a question of whether I knew them. I didn't need a, a, a moment's worth of experience to know that that's the way to go. That's the safe way to proceed. Uh, but I do think uh, learning, learning the hard lessons of what happens when you don't follow your system and follow your rules, regardless of how average they might be, um, is, you know, is the best and maybe the only type of experience that I value because um, I definitely think uh, somehow living through 2008 and taking lessons from 2008. No, there's no lessons from 2008. Zero. The only lesson is follow your system. I think that's a great point, Jerry. Absolutely. Well said. Um, should we do a few more tweets, uh, if you want, before we've got uh, questions, um, some very uh, relevant questions, I, I might add. So, so uh, let's let's do more tweets, if you want. Let's do one more. I think uh, okay. I like this um, study out that I saw this week from uh, Spring Valley Asset Management. And it was four tweets. I'll try to summarize them. But basically, it was just another uh, research paper that came to the same conclusion at CTA performance over the past few years is weak uh, due to the lack of trends. But it went on also to say that this analysis that they saw no uh, CTAs just have a tendency to make money all the time. It didn't really matter if stocks were going up or down, if volatility was high or low, or if correlations were high or low. None of this sort of ex explained performance or were indications that performance would be lower than normal. There were some periods where maybe low vol is better than higher vol, but it, none of these uh, environments cause CTAs to have uh, poor performance or not make money. And that's uh, certainly been my experience as well. We just always have a positive expectation, and it's just rare to go through periods like this where performance is less than it. We'd like it to be in less than average, but when, when it happens, it's just pretty much going to be due to the lack of trends. Um, bad timing on my part because this has been a, a good year, but it's nice to look back and try to understand uh, what's causing our underperformance. Yeah, and I would add to that, it's not necessarily just lack of trends. It's also just a pause and correction in trends. I mean, who knows, next month we, you know, Trump might change his tune and tweet something and suddenly these uh, deals on the trade tariffs war is, is gone and, and bonds uh, will be heading higher again. I mean, who who knows, right? So, uh, but um, yeah. 
Well, just uh, I see here one from Wayne that I particularly liked uh, a week ago, and he got a lot of likes on his uh, Twitter account. I just uh, retweeted it, but uh, he says, in investing and trading, everyone talks about mitigating risk, while one of the biggest risk factors, biggest risk is, in fact, not taking risk. There's something beautiful about calculated risk, like favorable asymmetry. Risk is requirement of success. Don't mitigate the right kind of risk. And so what I take from that is do the trade. It's nothing more important than doing the trade. You did those bond trades, that A plus. Um, it was a big trade. The trend was up. It made no sense. Rates are getting close to zero. No one else is doing them. How could you possibly have known and predicted? You couldn't. You don't have to. You followed your breakouts and your moving averages. And just doing those trades, where would you be today if you had not have done them? What kind of, uh, and that's why it's so important to just follow your rules and follow uh, those trades. And uh, in my opinion, equally as important as where you're going to get out of these trades. You know, it's a crapshoot where you're going to get out. Um, <clears throat> who knows if, the, if they're going to keep going lower or they're going to rally to new highs. And But you don't have the, you don't have, uh, the, you know, the benefits of these profits if you, are too afraid to put the trades on. So I really, I really like that. Isn't that spot on? You know, he says there's a risk in not taking the risk. And I, I think this is, this is just perfectly said. And it reminds me of one of the things that I tell my friends all the time is, uh, you know, they ask, well, here we go. We have to mention Bitcoin on, on each episode, right? But they go, they're still hesitant. They go like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to touch it. And uh, it's a scam. And, you know, people use it for the wrong things and that type of stuff, right? And it's like, well, there's, I think there's a risk, uh, there's a real risk not being long the thing. You know, I mean, I'm not saying put all your money into Bitcoin. There's people that do that. I'm, I'm not a fan of this, right? But a, an, a certain amount, a certain percentage of your portfolio, I think the risk of not having it is greater than of having it because, you know, who knows what the thing's going to do. Does it go to 100,000, to a million? I don't know. Nobody knows. Does it go to zero? Yes, maybe, right? But there's a real risk of just not being exposed and, and taking the volatility of those coins. And I think it applies to all the other markets too. You know, not being in those is a risk. And, and you know, Wayne is just an, such a great resource on those philosophical, you know, the, the way he puts it is just, fantastic we we you know we all always agree but he has an, an art he has a real skill of you know saying them in in such a nice way absolutely and also also i think maybe we should put this week in perspective a little bit obviously it's been the focus of our conversation as it is every week and uh, when you have a tough week like this i mean we did see the biggest rise in yields on in a week um since 2009 i mean that's you know that's bound to happen every 10 years you get a big surprise and it came against the trend uh so you know it's bound to be painful it has to be so by the way other things that have been really painful this week um things that i am not exposed to so it wasn't a pain to me but i've read about it um, and this is the apparent reversal of the momentum value spread you know where for the past month, years, weeks, the momentum stocks have uh, have outperformed and value was kind of like battered every time. And that spread has uh, has reversed significantly. 
and and quite violently i've uh, i've heard so it's not just been the bonds i think there's been other players out there in the markets that have uh, had taken a hit um without it coming from the bonds yeah so i saw that in my stock portfolio and um uh, but once again i all i did was put together this portfolio um trying to find as much diversification as possible and so i have a I have some longs, shorts, and some flats. So I must have had some value. I must have had some momentum, whatever. I don't even know what these terms even mean. I just had uh, all different kinds of stocks. And so I had a couple of my stocks sell off and a few ATRs from the high, uh, Starbucks, Walmart, Coke, McDonald's, whatever. And then I was buying new breakouts, uh, you know, and I'm like, okay, whatever. You want to call it value? Uh, maybe I don't know what's going on. I'm just saying, uh, if you start with a portfolio that is not diversified, and then you'll try to figure out a way. Well, I'll switch really quickly. Yeah, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hit. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, the the uh, pursuit of max diversification in every areas of your portfolio is uh, going to bring these type of rewards where you just shrug your shoulders. Uh, I don't really see this pain because I'm not overloaded with what they would consider to be momentum, I guess. So a fun week in, in just looking at those stocks. Um, one of my new friends started trading stocks this week. And uh, for the first time, just trend following stocks. And he called me up and he said, uh, so every time I look at the Dow, it's up, but all my stocks are down. Is this a problem? <laughs> and I was like, boy, you're in for a good journey. But I said, no, keep going. <laughs> you just do the do the do the trend following thing, and you're gonna have periods like this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's um, maybe turn our attention. We can always come back to more tweets if we want. Let's turn our attention to uh, Sam. And this is so funny because Sam actually sent this question on the fourth of September because of last week we had a guess we couldn't do it. So you're going to laugh when you hear this um, this um, message from Sam. So he starts out by saying, happy one year. I wonder if each of you might be able to recall the largest up or down moves in one day, week, month, year over the course of your entire careers. Jerry has provided some of this in the past, so maybe he can provide further anecdotes, memories, trying to have fun and hear what kinds of wild moves you have lived through over the decades and memories of your most vivid experiences. I think that's a pretty good question for this week's episode. <laughs> maybe we've already answered it, Sam. I don't know. But um, Moritz, what is your memory of some vivid moments in uh, in your career so i mean you know this past week but then um um january 15th 2015 the swiss franc that was a crazy move so that's still still in my memory i probably won't forget that ever and um there have been massive moves uh, in my portfolio in the 2011-2012 period when we had the euro the euro crisis, um, with equities being very volatile, some of the currencies being very volatile, Italian bonds being very volatile. Um, I can also remember back to the uh, Lehman Brothers period, you know, 2008, fall of 2008, the winter of 2008. 
um, where we had some crazy moves in the equity indices, like, you know, minus six, minus seven percent days. Um, so I've I've all been there. And it's it, but it's like we said, I mean, even this 2008 uh, period when I was trading back then, it felt uh, there was a lot of uh, you, you felt it. Um, it wasn't probably that much pain because for the most part, I was making money out of those trades. But I mean, large, large moves. Um, but the the euro crisis, I've lost money, but I'm I'm sure I was as, in much pain as I am this past week. But yeah, it's it's for the history books. It doesn't matter anymore. But I can still remember it. So I've I've certainly had days like uh, minus five, minus six, minus seven percent days. Yeah, if that helps, Sam, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't feel great if that happens, and it's uh, if it's even worse if you have two or three in a row. Yeah, no, I mean, like you, um, there's been plenty really along the, uh, in the last 30 years or so. Uh, one of the things I do remember uh, was sort of back in 1994, I remember there was sort of in the late summer, a couple of really tough months for trend followers, uh, I think after some kind of rate decision that surprised the markets. Um, and um, I was attending uh, one of the industry conferences in Chicago. I can't remember if you were on the panel, Jerry, uh, frankly, but certainly uh, Keith Campbell was there. Uh, John Henry was there. Um, and um, and so just listening to, to people who had been in the business even longer, uh, certainly at the time longer than I, um, you know, kind of just taking it pretty pretty easy about these things even though um certainly on our side and at, at done uh, that period was sort of two months of double digit uh, down months so it's painful um and um and uh, but no i mean there there has been plenty I, I i agree with 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 moritz that the financial crisis felt different because you wouldn't just worry about the the market moves you would actually worry about whether the system would collapse whether you your collateral was still safe in the bank um those kind of uh, issues i think are quite stressful um but I, you know i'll be the first to admit it's, it's it's still not easy to go through a severe drawdown i don't find it in any way shape or form enjoyable or, or easy and uh, but 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 going back to to the process going back to the numbers as i mentioned a couple of weeks ago maybe you know, back in November time, no, so December last year, we didn't know at the time November would be the low for this uh, previous drawdown, but just doing this kind of drawdown analysis, looking at the average uh, period it takes, during at the looking at the average depth of these drawdowns, looking at average recovery, expect recovery periods, and see, seeing it play out completely in 2019, um, you know, that's, it gives me, it gives me tremendous amount of faith and and uh, confidence uh, in in the strategy. So yeah, I mean, um, sorry, I can't be more specific, Sam. I mean, but there's been some crazy, crazy moves uh, along the way. Um, you know, big down days, big up days as well. Of course, it's not just on the downside. We talk about big moves, generally speaking. Um, so uh, yeah, you you get you get challenged on the emotional roller coaster from time to time, um, but uh, hopefully. Uh, 
these conversations will help people listening to us, um, you know, not uh, lose uh, faith in the strategy. And, and I think the three of us enjoy having conversations on a day like today where we can just kind of uh, check in with each other and say, yeah, you know, tough week. But, you know, as you say, in a couple of weeks time, it'll be forgotten and we've moved on. Jerry, crazy moves. Well, I guess you have to go back to the tur- turtle days oh, yeah. for really crazy moves. That's right. A lot of crazy moves, crazy profits, crazy givebacks. Um, but I think it's important to think, you know, what what can I, what have I learned from those crazy moves? Uh, was I trading too large in general? Yes. Um, was I too concentrated? Maybe in uh, too too much of the bonds, too much of the grains? Probably, yeah. And uh, then what am I going to do? If it bothers me, then do something about it. And uh and then sometimes it'll just be, uh, how do I navigate the need to have long-term systems, but not have big givebacks in my profits? How, how, what am I going to do about that? You know, this trade, or <clears throat> so I think just asking those questions and uh, getting your overall leverage correct and your portfolio weightings correct and your how you, what are you going to do with big profits? that have had a, like a vertical move straight up, you know, that's subject to a lot of give back. Uh, so, so these big profits uh, and volatile, volatile periods and big daily losses serve to make us uh, ask the right questions. And uh, I think that's, they're important. You know, I was thinking the other day, um, Moritz and I have sort of had the same uh, similar back testing uh, characteristics that it seems that uh, if the average period, you know, whatever the average return is, our drawdown might be at least twice that. And so I was thinking, like, how many times have I asked myself, you know, I haven't had that uh, big drawdown, I haven't had that 20%, 25% drawdown in quite a while. Where is that drawdown? Oh, no, we're not asking that question. No, it's a, it's a characteristic of the system. The system's great. We love it. It's fantastic. It's a culmination of our life's work. We don't want to talk about that one of the biggest characteristics, uh, it's, it's bad luck or we're we going to jinx it. But when it happens, you know, do we sit back and say, that's the system. It's a right on time with that double, twice the drawdown. <laughs> no, but, you know, if, that would be totally logical to sort of just not, not be emotional and just know that that thing's coming and it's working perfectly. <laughs> the big drawdown is a signal that everything's right on time. And I would just just add to you to your question, Sam. I think maybe one of the reasons why I don't really recall that many specific sort of big drawdowns when when you when I see your question is actually just as 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 we've said earlier, we kind of forget about it in in a, in a few weeks' time, anyways. It's not something we we keep holding on to. I mean, when I was referring to before, just because I also was looking at track record and see, you know, where okay, I remember that period and so on and so forth. But frankly, if someone asked me, it's not something that I, you know just have as 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 uh, ready knowledge because i don't focus on on that uh it's it's about the long run and and the long run is is pretty spectac- spectacular when you look at these uh track records but you had a follow-up question sam you sent um and and that goes another question for this week or next week i know most hold positions in equities both long and short but some take a long only approach maybe this isn't strictly unique to equities but it seems to be uh, but it seems to be the most popular. In your opinions and experiences, do you know why this is? Is there a situation where you would find this approach sensible or correct? Moritz, what say you? 
What's AI? Good question, Sam. Um, we've said it on the podcast that, you know, most of the money comes from the long side of trades. So you could say, well, let's trade long, long only, long neutral uh, and avoid the shorts. But as far as I'm concerned, I think for my portfolio, that would be too short sided. I like the diversification that I get out of the shorts at specific points in time. Um, I realized that, you know, looking back, the shorts haven't performed as well as the longs doesn't mean that it's going to be exactly like that going forward. Um, so I do want to have the shorts on. And the other part of the question was, you know, some people like doing that or they prefer doing that. I often come across investors who have difficulties trading short. You know, maybe they don't trade derivatives or futures contracts. They trade, you know, physical stock and then they would have to borrow the stock and, you know, pay a lending fee and then maybe call on the stock and it's just not within their mandates or they're kind of like either long or they're out and, and maybe this is, it's coming coming from that circumstance that they're doing it that way. Um, but no, I mean, I um, I will have the shorts on. There's no question in my mind about that. Yeah, I mean, on, on our side, we we make no distinguish uh, between long and shorts. We have no bias. Um, I again, I understand why people, maybe in particular in equities, say that you know, or choose to have a long bias in equities. Clearly, they go up more time than not. However, you know, uh, as Mart says, there's no reason to to believe uh, with certainty that that's always going to be the case. And uh, and also the shorts uh, provide opportunities at very important points in time. Um, so we wouldn't want to be uh, without them. But I'm aware of the situation, Sam, that you uh, highlight. Any thoughts uh, from your Jerry? It's just uh, you know different, different way of doing things that uh, long only fits in with their story of owning quality companies and uh, looking at fundamentals and value and... So our story is quite a bit different, which is ignore all of that, go with the trends, uh, try to get as much diversification. Don't even don't even just trade stocks, but if you're going to trade stocks, you know shorts are going to help out a little bit, and they may make a lot of money and certainly add to diversification. So it's just two different worldviews that can't be connected in any way. Of course, uh, the majority of people look at things much differently than we do. Very true. We have a question. Uh, thanks, Sam, uh, for your question, as always. Um, we have a question from Bruno. Uh, Bruno says, it's a completely different question, uh, I would say. So he says, what are your thoughts on using cash versus continuous contracts to develop and trade systems? The price difference from cash to continuous is huge. Sugar is an interesting recent example because it is at an all-time low on the continuous contract, but the all-time but the all-time low on the cash contract was 2.74 back in 1972. Also, is there a way to value a commodity question mark on a stock? You can use various valuation formulas and ratios in order to value a company as expensive or cheap. Is there a way to do so with commodities? Well, who wants to um, jump in first? Let me start. Um, I don't concern myself with the valuation, you know, um, that's point A. So I'm not sure if there's a way to even value a stock correctly, right? I mean, you may say there's discounted cash flow and this or that, but, you know, a second later, the thing trades at a different price. So, you know, what, what is the value? Because if, if, if there was a definitive way 
to come up with a value for anything, then that would be the price and the price wouldn't change all that much. But, you know, it's trading. So the perceived value apparently changes all the time, which makes me think that, well, it's not that easy to find the real value and the true price for really anything. And, and therefore, I don't do it. I don't concern myself with it. I just follow the price. Now, with the cash contracts, I mean, I, with the way we trade, we test our systems, right? We come up with a back test, we build a statistical body of evidence. And it's important to me that that body of evidence uses the same instrument that I will trade going forward. So I want to do the test on the stuff that I will actually put position and risk on. I don't want to be um, looking at the cash markets of some commodity and then trade a futures contract that is three months or four months away from that cash market because the futures price may be very different than the cash price. So I really want to be uh, testing the things that I will actually be trading. Exactly. I think uh, some of the prices of cash versus futures would be different. I uh, see that on the currencies, especially sometimes. And But if you're trading cash, then run your system on cash. If not, uh, but uh, futures does have this kind of uh, benefit that sometimes you can uh, make more money if you're in a futures contract because of the the way it's moving around. And um, I remember my our first big trade in 1984 happened to be short sugar and it would we'd go short at three cents, and it would go down to two, and then we would roll till the next month back to three. So we just kept making this uh, you know, differential between the markets. So uh, you know, it's um, I don't I doubt if you ran a back test on lots of cash data or futures data. I think the the back test would probably be about the same. You know, but uh, don't think there's a lot to be gained by focusing on either uh, exclusively. Yeah, and not surprising. I tend to obviously agree uh, completely. I mean, I don't think you can really test something uh, unless you use a continuous contract. You have to do the roles. You have to take them into account. Unless, I guess, if you were an intraday-only trader, then maybe you could. Um, but other than that, um, it's easier, I think, more realistic to use continuous uh, data. So... Uh, and um, so hopefully that answers uh, your question, Bruno. And thanks uh, very much for that. In terms of valuing a commodity, um, I mean, I think there are ways where you can um, try to um, see if something is relatively expensive or relatively cheap within the same sector. So in the grains, you could probably do that. Um, I don't know how to do it myself, um, but but it's certainly something that we've looked at as well uh, on our side. Um, but um, but you know I don't I, it shouldn't detract you. I think if from from being a trend follower, uh, I think there's more money to be made on that side than trying to figure out within a sector whether you know one market is over over, over undervalued. I've sat on panels. I mean, I know 2007 or eight. I was on a panel in New York. Um, with fundamental commodity trader, and it was the the panel was to discuss uh, you know trend following technicals versus fundamentals in commodity markets, and um, this guy was honest enough to say, yeah, that the big move up in in copper in uh, 2006 was a monster move in all the LME markets that he was short the whole time. He had 
got on a plane, gone to the different mines and looked it up and done his analysis and it's right to be short. And so, and we were long all the time. And I said, I feel so guilty because all I did was buy the breakout. And here you were working really hard to try to understand copper. And of course, at different periods, he'd say, well, you know, you took four losses in a row in copper. I never took those losses. I'm like, sure. Yeah, I take whipsaws. And that's the negative part about trading the way we trade. But um, I doubt if human uh, ingenuity and fundamental analysis is going to be reliably better than a moving average crossover. Yeah, and I think to that point, um, you know, I think we've talked about this a number of times. Uh, if you ask people a year ago, they would probably say yields were pretty low and they shouldn't go any lower. There's a lot of, you know, and, and here we are. So often the best opportunity for us as a trend follower really comes at these extreme situations, right, where, where we see yields suddenly drop, you know, five, six weeks in a row very rapidly. And then that's where we can really capitalize with a trend following strategy where most value, if you took it as a, as a, as a value trade, I think you would be probably uh, on the opposite side of that trade and that would hurt uh, tremendously. Obviously, you would have had a great week last week. But you may not have been in business if you've had five, six weeks or five, six months of this uh, rally going against you first. So uh, anyways, that um, doesn't mean people can't find uh, ways to, to do both, of course. Um, any other tweets, thoughts? Uh, let me just quickly run through... Um, run through some of the numbers uh, for this uh, month so far and for the year and then maybe you come up with some final ideas to uh, talk about. So f as of Thursday, so not including Friday, Friday was uh, not a good day as far as I can tell. Uh, so uh, as of Thursday, the BTOP50 index was down 3.32, up still for the year 8.86. Stockgen CTA index was down 3.67 for the month, up 8.05 for the year. Sokjian Trend Index down 5.95 for the month, up 12.81 for the year. Sokjian Short Term Traders Index down 1.06 for the month and up 2.02. And finally, the Bridge Alternatives Index are down 4.9 for the month, uh, up 11.01 for the year. So, yeah, looks like it's pretty much in line, relatively speaking, to our own experiences giving back most of, if not all, of the August gains uh, so far. But we still have a couple of weeks left, so plenty of time to uh, change that uh, in both directions, of course. Um, any final thoughts? Any um, topics, articles that uh, you want to bring up um, on your side? Well, I don't know. The most uh, liked tweet of the past two weeks. I'll read it to you. I, I don't even know if I understand what this really means. So it's kind of funny. Uh, there's an old saying, how do you know when a trader is losing money? When he starts researching the stock. So uh, kind of made sense to me from a trend following point of view. Like I have some stocks and they, some of them have been going down a lot recently. So I haven't started researching the stock, So, but I am still losing money. So I guess... Um, you always try to redouble your efforts, and uh, you know when you when you put something on and it doesn't work out for you. But uh, that kind of a funny quote. But I don't even know if I know exactly what it means. I don't know either precisely what what is meant by that. But 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 here's here's a here's a a, a, a thought. 
You know, it's often, you know, when you hear about things, uh, let's just say we take a stock like Apple, lots of news flow come through Apple, but as long as you don't have a position in it, it's just news, right? As soon as you get a position in Apple, all that news because something you feel you have an opinion on and and you start thinking that, oh yeah, that must be right, that must be wrong and therefore this must happen, this and that. So I think definitely there's something to it that as soon as, and so it goes back to also a little bit about transparency. So because we I think generally as an industry, we're quite transparent. So there's a, there's a, there's a positive side to that. There's a negative side. The positive side is of course, that your clients can see what's going on in the portfolio. The negative side is as soon as you show them that you're long this or you're short that, they have an opinion on it. And often that opinion will be different to our position, right? So I think there is this, that you know, you can get into an awful lot of trouble as soon as you start researching something or as soon as you have a position because suddenly your opinions change in terms of how well you think you know this stock or this market. I don't know. That's just sort of one thought. Could also be that you're looking to, uh, you know, to find confirmations for your own position, right? You, you double your research efforts in order to reconfirm that there has been a valid reason for you putting the stock on. Now it's not working. You're losing money, so you're kind of like you know going back to the to the research side of things, and you're trying to reconfirm that you're doing the right thing. Well, but it's uh, I'm yes. not 100 percent sure what it means. Yeah, so you can tell the story when someone asks you. You can tell the story. That's yeah. right. And so, so our point of view would be: don't do any research. Take your small loss. Get out of that yeah. sucker. Buy it again if it goes to the highs. You didn't know why you bought it. Your reasons for buying it in the first place may have been totally misplaced. Uh, Absolutely. If if you're buying something for any reason other than it made a new high, I can't help you. You're in no man's land. It's not going to work out well. Stop with, <laughs> Stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing I wanted to say is like uh, before we're closing this down to all our uh, fellow trend following friends out there, keep your heads up high if that has been a tough week. If you're following the system, you're doing everything right. Don't freak out and happy trading next week. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think on, on that note, uh, let's uh, wrap up this uh, conversation. And if you want to support three struggling trend followers this week, then uh, please head over to toptradersonplug.com forward slash review, where you can leave uh, a review and a rating uh, for us. It helps the show just to get uh, discovered by more people. So we appreciate that. From Jerry, Moritz, and me, thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to being back with you on the next week's episode of The Systematic Investor. And in the meantime, have a great week. Thanks for listening to The Systematic Investor podcast series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.